Paul Bauer has been in the community from the very beginning. He is a physician. He's a doctor at Children's Mercy. Very busy guy. Um, big family. And uh, he's here to share with us today. I don't even know what you're talking about. But, uh, but actually, do you want to? Well, let's pray for Paul first. Let's just say a quick prayer for Paul before he introduces what he's going to talk about, because I don't know. <laughs> Jesus, we ask you to bless Paul. Open the hearts of our community that we might hear his words, that we might be touched by uh, what he has to give us and moved and brought closer to you through the presentation Paul is about to give. Bless Paul. Amen. Matt, thank you. Um, My name is Paul Bauer. Therese and I have been a part of this community for many years, and we've grown as a family and um, as a couple and as disciples in the Lord. Um, grateful to be asked to give a talk this morning. I'm a physician, and the topic of this talk is close to my heart because I see it. Um, I'll be talking today about the problem of suffering, um, and I'm happy to share my thoughts and uh, really just give a word of encouragement. Uh, there's no real answers, but there's a lot of beauty, and there's a lot of grace, and there's a lot of love. Um, In order to keep from rambling, which I have a tendency of doing, uh, I'm going to read my notes. Um, The problem of suffering is perhaps the oldest philosophical problem. If creation is good, why do we suffer? If God is good, then why do I suffer? Why does a child suffer? The problem of suffering is also universal. In that sense, I think it's very Catholic. Although I have opinions, I don't really have any answers. During this talk, I'd like to share with you a word of encouragement, a word of hope, a word of love, and in some small way, stoke the flames of your faith about how great, powerful, and mighty is our Lord. He redeems, and suffering is a particularly intimate place of encounter with him. He has come to visit his people. He comes now to visit his people, and our suffering is a beautiful door through which he comes to visit, through which he desires to enter. As the days lengthen and winter retreats, we journey into prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. We journey into the silent wastes of our hearts, and we cry out to the Lord for redemption, for alleviation of our suffering, and for the fruitfulness of His love, His peace, and His healing. This past Wednesday, we celebrated ashes, dust, the very matter of the universe. Remember, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Scripturally, we're hearkened back to the account of creation, where the Lord God formed man out of the clay of the ground and blew into his nostrils the breath of life. And so man became a living being, lurking in Eden, literally God's pleasure park, was the liar speaking a lie that God could not be trusted 
and we would be like him if we took matters into our own hands against the injunction to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil lest it bring death. Our parents doubted God and yearned to be like him. We know the story. Not only do we know it scripturally or catechetically, but we all know it personally. Doubting God and at the same time yearning to have his power over life. Is that not truly the source of great suffering, both for ourselves and for others who are submitted to that philosophy by their kin? Our scriptures tie sin to suffering. Suffering is linked to disorder. Through disobedience, we are banished from paradise. Next slide. From Eden, from the world as it was created, and the Lord casts upon us, his beloved creatures, a number of prophecies about the effects of the first sin from the original sin. He says, I will intensify your toil and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your urge shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. To the man, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat its yield all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bear for you, and you shall eat the grass of the field. By the sweat of your brow you shall eat bread until you return to the ground from which you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. We will suffer, we do suffer, to bring new life into the world. Childbirth costs greatly. Wives will yearn for their husbands to make good decisions. Does this not cause suffering? We will toil at great cost, growing thorns and thistles when we work to produce grain and wine. We will yearn for life, for immortality, and not have it. Banned from paradise by the fearsome sword of the angel. Next slide. And to return to the clay from which we were formed, says Koholeth, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. This is our circumstance. This is our lot. And yet, we have a mighty God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came to be through him, and without him, nothing came to be. What came to be through him was life, and this life was the light of the human race. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we saw his glory, the glory as of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. Our Savior has been with us since the beginning of time. Before we were made, he is. Before we suffered, he is. Before we died, he is. The Christian worldview, our worldview, dives into suffering 
it does not run from it. Professing Christ's lordship over everything and then terrified of what this means, Peter defile, defies Jesus' openness to his own suffering and death. Casting out this satanic thinking, Jesus pulls the crowd and his closest followers to him, including Peter, and tells them early on about the cross, this wicked instrument of Roman torture. And he promises two things. One, we each have a cross to carry. And two, if we stay with him, we will have life. Whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save it, save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and that of the gospel will save it. Mark chapter 8. Notice, too, that this invitation is for everyone. Where does he lead? Our Savior, our warrior king, our father forever, our prince of peace, the lion of Judah, leads us to the heights above the fertile plain, and he opens his very side for where a, from where a stream of living water and the very blood of life is poured out to give us life. Now, since it was the preparation day in order that the bodies might not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath day of that week was a solemn one, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs be broken and they be taken down. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and then of the other who was crucified with Jesus. When they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs, but one soldier thrust a lance into his side, and immediately blood and water flowed out. Mercy, mercy, mercy. Brothers and sisters, our suffering is bathed in his mercy. Our broken legs are washed with his blood. Our wounds are cleansed and redeemed in the waters of his spirit. Our death is bound underground forever. The crucifix planted like a mighty victory flag over Adam's fall in God's garden. And the instrument of death's death, a man born of a virgin womb, is planted in a virgin tomb. A grain of wheat planted like a bomb in the heart of death. They took the body of Jesus and bound it with burial cloths along with the spices, according to the Jewish burial custom. Now in the place where he had been crucified, there was a garden. Notice the garden. And in the garden, a new tomb which no one had yet been buried. How shall we respond? What shall we do? Particularly in the very real circumstances of our pain, our broken bodies, our broken loved ones, brokenness in our friendship, our families, and our marriages, 
This pain and suffering is real, and it's unique to you, it's unique to me, and it causes us to cry out to the one who made us. Why? For what? How? What am I supposed to do with this? I can't save anyone with this. I am losing the loved ones you've given me because of this. Our catechism says illness can lead to anguish, self-absorption, sometimes even despair and revolt against God. It can also make a person more mature, helping him discern in his life what is not essential so that he can turn toward that which is. Very often, illness provokes a search for God and a return to him. The man of the Old Testament lives his sickness in the presence of God. It is before God that he laments his illness, and it is of God, master of life and death, that he implores healing. Illness becomes a way to conversion. God's forgiveness initiates the healing. It is the experience of Israel that illness is mysteriously linked to sin and evil and that faithfulness to God according to his law restores life. For I am the Lord, your healer. The prophet intuits that suffering can also have a redemptive meaning for the sins of others. Finally, Isaiah announces that God will usher in a time for Zion when he will pardon every offense and heal every illness. In our pain, we might move through anguish, make decisions that bring more suffering, and we might burn inside with anger. By virtue of our weakness, when we can no longer move others or even move ourselves, we run out of options. We run out of steam, and behold, the Lord is mighty. We might move to acceptance, knowing with faith that the Lord has this, that the Lord is transforming this. We might jump immediately into the Lord's blessed lap before we do anything, and ask him to take the open yoke at our shoulder and help us pull this mighty plow. We might see a brother struggling with a burden never meant for one. We might shoulder the empty yoke at his right and pull it with him. And together, we might wait for the Lord. We are convinced that we are not alone. In our difficulties, we are visited by the Lord. Indeed, we are rescued from the pit. And blessed is the name of the Lord, the one who rescues us. The great apostle, Paul, the one born abnormally and made great in his own smallness before the shining Lord, has this to say. But we hold this treasure in earthen vessels, that the surpassing power may be of God and not from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not constrained perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being given up to death for the sake of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh, so death is at work in us but life in you. Since then, we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We too believe and therefore speak, knowing that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus. 
and place us with you in his presence. Everything indeed is for you, so that the grace bestowed in abundance on more and more people may cause the thanksgiving to overflow for the glory of God. Therefore, we are not discouraged. Rather, although our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to what is seen, but to what is unseen. For what is seen is transitory, but what is unseen is eternal. Suffering for us is as sure as the sunrise, as sure as tornadoes in Kansas. Testing his followers' resolve to be with him, Jesus assures us, the cup that I drink, you will drink, and the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. The Lord has visited his people. He comes to visit you. He comes to visit me. When you and I take him into our bodies, into his living temple, do we let him into the wounds we have, into the places and the spaces that hurt, that are dark? He has a work to accomplish there, and it's a work not only to heal the deeper part of our souls, but a work to manifest his glory his authority over creation, his authority over the sin of Adam and Eve, a work to bring you into his garden where life itself dwells, a work to bring your loved ones with you into the bosom where Abraham dwells. He rescues you and me from the flood, and great is the bark that he sails, greater than the ark of Noah, a hold infinitely more capable of rescue. The door is his pierced heart. Let us step inside and we will find life and safety and love in his constant companionship. In the ICU where I work, I have encountered children and families who have been visited by the Lord. I have their permission to share these accounts A young boy died of brain cancer. He spent his last days with his mother preparing for death, eventually losing consciousness and then his capacity for breath. While he was still lucid, he was able to tell his mother that Jesus was calling him home. Not some vague sense of life passing, but a real calling from the Lord himself. His mother was filled with grief and joy at the very same time, and she stayed with him. She guided the nurses and the physicians to a posture of love and peace in the passing of his life, dismissing anxiety and angst as she beheld her little one go. He had asked to be buried in a police uniform and striped socks so that he might look his best when he met the Lord. I know he looked splendid. How can the Lord not recognize his own love in a boy like this? There was a girl who was ill with a brain tumor who told another boy who was sick with cancer on the wards about a woman in blue who had come to visit her. 
They would talk about this woman as they rode their tricycles in the play area. The girl's parents, who had not particularly been close to Jesus or the Virgin Mary before their daughter's illness, recognized immediately who she was talking about. From this, they also knew that their daughter would not survive. And in time, their astonishment turned to peace as a living encounter with the Lord grew in their family like a fertile shoot in once dry soil. But the story doesn't end there. A six-year-old boy who learned about Jesus from the girl who had been catechized by the mother of the Lord taught his parents a great deal about Jesus. This boy's mother was torn apart by the diagnosis of cancer for him. She was angry with God. She contended with God over this. How dare the Lord? Why? How? If you are the Lord, then why can't you rescue my son? Recognize that line? In the midst of her anger and sorrow, her son was healed for a time, and his mother's heart was finally broken open. In the crack that was now available, faith took hold for good. With new faith, this boy's mother was ready to give him her blessing, seeing a future marked with hope, even when he died. Near the end, he told her, I'm Rocket Man, and it's time for me to fly. (laughs) I took care of an adolescent girl from an Amish community who had a stroke. In her weakness and long days in the ICU, the greater community from where she came from came out to the hospital to love the family and give them support. She too eventually died after a worthy struggle, but not without the loving prayers of the greater community. One afternoon, a number of men and women dressed in the simple overalls and patterned dresses of their particular community filled her room. They pulled the sliding door closed, crowded around her bed, and began to sing the psalms. The sound of their voices escaped the room, and a hush descended on the otherwise busy ICU. They prayed over her. It was one of the more beautiful moments that the staff had ever experienced in that ICU in a long time. Brothers and sisters, the Lord visits his people. He says, let the children come to me. Do not prevent them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Amen, I say to you, whoever does not accept the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it. The Lord visits this community. In the beginning of this community's life in Kansas City, we were blessed to experience God's gratuitous and unmerited generosity in a particular member by the name of Joe Yanko. Joe Yanko was a gift to us. He was a young adult who had a conversion to faith from an outreach of this community. This crucifix is dedicated to him. He died of a brain tumor. His last months were like an offering of oil poured out upon our heads. We experienced his love, joy, kindness, reckless generosity, and the tenderness 
of entrustment. Joe trusted his very body to our care, to our companionship. I remember Brad Schleter calling for advice during one of the first men's retreats. I couldn't join them. Joe insisted on going. He was not medically well. I really had no meaningful advice for Brad. (laughs) Joe did men's retreat. He slept through parts. He enjoyed the love of his brothers. And every man there saw with his own eyes and his own heart what it is like to hand your suffering, your weakness, and your littleness over to the Lord, not alone, but with one another. May Joe remember us before the Father. Couples in our midst have lost children. Much sorrow has been experienced in private, in the secret chambers of the heart. Sorrow has also been shared as a body. Couples in our midst have longed for children and have not borne them. These events have caused a grief that has opened our hearts, humbled us, and allowed the Lord to work in a mighty and subtle way. Some of us have lost parents. Some of us have traveled roads marked with painful memories, committed to reconciliation and forgiveness, knowing that there is a cost, there is a price to pay, but a gift to attain and share. And we have seen in one another how the Lord visits his people, how he teaches us to grieve, how he teaches us to love, how he teaches us to break open our hearts and with and for one another so that his word might send a deeper root into a deeper recess. The sacraments of healing pour grace into our hearts to nourish healing both for us and for others. Confession cleanses our souls, removes the dirt, the garbage that buggers up our wounds so that the Lord might heal them. The Eucharist is true food, living food in the desert that gives us his very life, the power to walk aright, love one another, and care for the poor. The sacrament of the sick gives us the healing love of the Lord, an anointing of oil, the prayers of the faithful, and the forgiveness of our sins in our physically weakest moments, in our most seriously ill times. Paul writes of his own suffering and what the Lord accomplishes it through it in Colossians. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I complete what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the divine office which was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known and the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now made manifest to his saints. My brothers and sisters, invite Jesus to walk with you in your suffering. Beg Jesus to come to you. He longs for you. He longs for me. 
His blood is poured, spilled out for you and me. Open your wounds to him and ask him for healing. Lay hands and pray over one another. He and he alone is the source of all that is good. His word is effective. It is like a two-edged sword that separates marrow from bone. He is all-powerful. He is all-good. He is all-knowing. Evil and suffering are not more powerful than God. We are not at the mercy of some senseless random evil that has no meaning. Nothing can happen to you or a loved one that is beyond the reach of the Holy One of Israel. Nothing can happen that is beyond God's capacity to turn to good. We know that in everything God works for good with those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Nor, um, excuse me, the redemption of Christ can transform our suffering into the wind that blows a mighty sail and moves a great boat. Can you go back one, I think. It can give us solar panels to capture the power of pain and sorrow and transform it into the power of healing and love. May the grace and power of the Lord Jesus give us courage this Lent for fasting, prayer, and almsgiving, which we undertake so that we might travel into the desert. He means to, receive, to redeem our suffering, to bind our wounds. He desires that we help one another lift heavy burdens of suffering that were never meant to be born alone. He wants to encounter you and me. He means to save our hearts. Blessed be his name forever. Music team, can you come up and sing that last song? Here is my life, Lord.